Hi everyone, uh, this is Kishore Chandra and we're here for chit chat. Uh, we've been a little absent these past few days, so please excuse us. Um, the day before yesterday, Jai Jagannath was on a plane and then yesterday I got caught in the city and uh, so I wasn't able to connect and uh, we're happy to be back today. We were missing all of you and uh, so sorry for those two days that we weren't able to connect, but we're here now, which is important. Uh, welcome PV Chat, Anand, Gerald, welcome all, Geneva, Hari Bol, Hari Krishna, welcome everyone. So me and Jai Jagannath come on here uh, every night, except for these past two at 6 p.m. Jai is here and uh, we speak about spiritual topics. I'm sure that's why you're here. And uh, yes, so we'll get started in just a moment. Harry Bowl. Hola. Hola. Buen dia. Buenas, buenas tardes. Buenas tardes. Oh, yes, it's yes, it's the evening time. Harry Bowl. It sounds like you're in a plane or something. Really? Well, um. It's fine. That's the air conditioner. Usually, wait, hold on. I'm problem. <laughs> I'll say hi to everyone. Welcome, Madhavapuri. Welcome, Pat. Harry Bull. Is that better? Yeah, that's. Oh, but now, I'm, now I'm right by the air conditioner. All right, hold on. Hey, Mogaji. Hey, okay. Ruxi. Okay, that's so much better. That's so much better. <laughs> Before it was just like, shh. Okay. So. What's up? Well, I was just mentioning to everyone that to please forgive us for being absent. Uh, you were in a plane two days ago. And then yesterday I got caught up in the city. And so we were missing these past two days. Um, right. But we're, we're back. We're back now. Any outstanding realizations or things that come up for you in the last few days? Um, you know, I think the word that's coming to my mind right now, and it's, uh, we, you and I spoke uh, personally the other day, and the word that's really coming to my mind right now is like shelter, the shelter that one has from like-minded uh, association the shelter that one receives from a community, the shelter that one receives from, uh, from devotees, essentially. And so I was speaking to you specifically about like, you know, Rukmini was, Rukmini is connected now. And I bought a car today. I bought a car today. And a lot of people are like, wow, you're living, re you're really living this cushy life out there. Like, <laughs> what's going on? And uh, when so it the, should be more like, wow, you're really living a cushy life. Is everything okay? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Because I feel like I, I, I think I replied to Rukmini. I said, yeah, like, you don't even know. Like, the, the house over here, it's huge. Like, it's ridiculous. Like, I'm really living this kind of crazy lifestyle over here, which it's not by my efforts, everyone, just to let you know, this is all my family's <laughs> efforts. But I really was feeling like, even though you have all these material things, I feel like I'm living a lived experience of that. Like, even though you have these material things, these fancy things, there's no shelter in those things whatsoever, like at all. 
And uh, so I was telling you personally the other day, like, yeah, like I have all this stuff and it's great. And, and on a material level, I definitely feel much more stable that I have these things. Um, but on a spiritual level, the lack of devotee association has been so taxing, you know, it's been super taxing. Thankfully, that's changing in the next week or so. I have some devotees coming into my life uh, by Krishna's mercy. Uh, but but yeah, it's really interesting to to just note that that like our mind is so easily carried away by focusing on material uh, gains on material things. And you know, we we talk about this all the time on chit chat. But um, it, there's no shelter in those things, like none whatsoever. Yeah, um, I'm reminded immediately of Kunti's prayer, naturally. That she points out our aristocratic birth, wealth, beauty, education expands madness. Edamanamada means to ex uh, means like expanding, and mada means madness. Hmm. Um, generally taken to be like pride, hmm. um, but also madness because usually the more one has, the more one feels that they need. Mm. Um, and then there's uh, maybe I brought this up on chit chat there's a relationship between there's a tension between desire and destiny the word for destiny in Sanskrit mm. is daiva mm. and the word for desire is kama I'm going to do a video on this on my page but basically daiva refers to the things that you are destined in this life according to previous activities it's basically the fructification of your karma is called daiva or destiny and you have Kama. Now, kama is actually part of that whole process of the karmic fruits because mm. the sort of desires you have are based on things that you did previously that brought pleasure. And those pleasure imprints are in the mind and they get triggered and they lead to certain desires in the outer world. Basically, anything that resembles that latent imprint in the mind, when you see mm. it outside, it gets triggered you impose that imprint onto the object and then you get a desire for it. Um, so the relationship, the desire has to always be kept within the boundaries of your diva. Mm. Because if your desire becomes more than your diva allows you to become mad, mm. you become crazy. Um, and our modern culture generally encourages the ever increasing expansion of desire despite your circumstances we're told these stories that it doesn't matter what our circumstances are you can achieve whatever it is that you want you can be whatever you want and as a result of that the general culture is to expand comma and our, if our comma means desire and if our desire goes beyond the boundaries of what our diva will dictate for us in that particular life then mm -hmm. it leads to a sort of madness a madness that can be obviously self-destructive or it can be the destructive of the world around you mm. and i petition that a lot of the yeah i think uh, a lot of the sort of madness that we're seeing and the that's going on right now happens to okay it's because people are in power are exploiting those with less power absolutely that's part of it the other part of it is that i feel like a lot of the laymen a lot of us the lay people we become accustomed to this illusion mm. uh, that we could live in some sort of utopia where everything's like absolutely equal, where there aren't hierarchies, where there mm. aren't these sort of um, 
divisions and power and, and demographics. Mm. That's sort of a utopia. And our, aside from our desire for objects, we have these like desires to see certain ideas that may not actually be in harmony with the, the nature of things in this world. That desire becomes very strong and that desire reaches beyond the boundaries of what Daiva will allow for in this particular life. So for mm. example, we may have a, a desire for utter equality, which is literally impossible in the material world because of we're all getting the merits of previous activities. I mean, there are many factors that leads to the impossibility of a, a, a uniformly equal world in the mm. way that we tend to conceive of it. But because these ideas have been imprinted into our head without the necessary metaphysics to give it a little bit of a realism, mm. our desires become like this much and our diva is like this much. Mm. And so people are mad naturally and their madness is becoming self-destructive and they're destroying their own societies, mm. their own communities because of it. And anyway, so I've been thinking about that. It's a little bit of a metaphysical way of thinking about it, but I've been thinking about how, yeah, we've become mad because we've not learned how to, um, what's the word I'm like, tether, desire, mm. and, and not learning that art. Now we have to suffer the consequences in the form of mm. our, mad, our madness, mm. which is very destructive. It's really interesting, all of that, I agree with, everything that you're saying and it's you know i'm just reflecting on what you you're saying kind of like what's in the cards for us what's what's been allotted to us in this life so often is not uh you know we're fed this illusion that we are we are we can do whatever we want and i also had an interesting experience just now right now i'm not at like my house here in ecuador i'm at my aunt's house i haven't seen her in a very long time and uh anyway my families out there um but it was like the first time in a really long time that we had I, ha I, I participated in like a christian you know prayer before the meal okay and <laughs> why wow, i'm not saying anything <laughs> and so my grandma was the one who made the prayer and it was a long ass prayer and the you wow. know the beginning was nice. The, the the beginning was nice. The beginning of the prayer was nice, but then it went into like, and God, please give us this and give us that. And you know, this person who doesn't in our family who doesn't have this, just give it, just give it to them. And this other person that's got this, right. give give that to them. And the whole and it was going on for a long time. I was like. I know we have a big family, but like, come on, <laughs> like, it's just like, and then her sister, my grandmother's sister, she's a jokester. She kind of made fun of her after the prayer. She was like, oh, wow, you have such a generous heart. You're asking God to do a lot for you, you know, like this. <laughs> and it was really funny for me because our philosophy is very different. And we always say this, that bhakti is not a prosperity gospel. And so, yeah, of course, you can ask Krishna for stuff, but, you know, he's may or may not give it to you. And rather, rather, you know, you brought up Queen Kunti. Rather, you know, we are looking at the stories of uh, the, the, the archetypes and the saints in our Bhagavatam mm -hmm. are people that have gone through so much suffering and rather things have been taken away from them. And in that, in that process of things being taken away from them, that is where they are able to come closer to Krishna. Rather, Queen Kunti is saying, Akinchana Gocharna, right? That, that you're the property of the materially exhausted. 
or the materially yes. impoverished. And I, and I really love that, that term materially exhausted because it's like, like you said, it's like the more that I have, the more that I'm going to desire. Essentially it's like this. And so it's like, right. I, I've always been, I've always been very careful with that. Like my mother is very much, I feel like I'm just like telling all of you guys about my family. My mother is very much like a, she's like a hardcore, you know, like, let's just have pretty things. Like, let's just, let's just have, all, <laughs> let, let's just have all the pretty things. And trust me, y'all, it's really easy to get seduced by that kind of lifestyle. Like, I'm living on a private island over here in Ecuador, like guarded, like in a citadel. And I'm just like, there are moments in the day where I'm just like, I could, I could just stay here. Like, I could get used to this. Like, I could just be here living in my private island. But I, but I, I, I responded to Rukmini saying in our private messaging, I was just like, I feel like this is cute for now, but in the long run, this isn't going to be good for my bhakti, you know, in the long run. Right, right now, it's mm. fine and whatever. But I, I, I think that it's really easy, especially in a, in a society, in a Westernized society that's become so, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Individualistic, where I'm able to just, especially even now with COVID, like I'm just in my house, I do my own thing, just like this. And so kind of ideas like, um, ideas like austerity become very foreign to people, you know, yes. they, and they become not only foreign, but like, what's, what's the point? Like the, the whole idea or the, 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 what's it called? The, the actual act of doing austerity of going through austerity becomes very like, well, why would I do that? You know, that's, that doesn't seem like something I would do. I'm seeing the comment section blow up. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know what's happening. They're really what you're saying. The, mm. um, yeah, I, it's interesting because um, at least in my experience of religion before bhakti yoga, you know, and I grew up Hebrew Israelite, so those are like the crazy black supremacist groups out there. <laughs> I grew up in that sort of community until I was seven. Then my mom became quite eclectic and kind of just like open. But I remember she dated a Muslim guy for some time so, you know, we were checking out the mosque for some time. And and then I would go to my friends, different Christian things. You know, I had a Lutheran friend. I checked out some other Catholic things and one Protestant thing. And only, it was only in, when I came to Bhakti Yoga did this idea of desire being the enemy of the soul become mm -hmm. such a huge talking point. It's, a, it's generally a talking point for the spiritual traditions of India, especially like Vedanta where there's a strong, um, a strong push toward renunciation, at least minimally internal renunciation, if not practical external renunciation also. But it was the first time I encountered this notion that desire could be the enemy of the soul. Because mm. normally, because of our intimate identification with the material body, we just consider desire as part of the soul. Yeah. Um, and so whatever you're kind of feeling, whatever desires are coming up, that's spiritual. And, mm. and yeah, many people, they, they think like that. Like even when they like really fall in love with someone, they really genuinely think it's like a spiritual thing. Like yeah. the feelings that are coming up, like that's spiritual. And, you know, when you're in Bhakti Yoga, you like, <clears throat> <laughs> <laughs> you know, like it's like money to us, but before Bhakti Yoga, it was like, yeah, that's totally a spiritual. Those feelings are spiritual. You're having a yeah. spiritual experience. I don't even joke. One of my one of our god sisters 
<laughs> I don't even know if I should share this, but one of our God sisters, she was training one of her students in yoga. And one of her students came to her and said, when she has sex with her um, boyfriend or whoever, um, that she experiences samadhi. <laughs> I'm sorry. I, I don't, maybe that was a little inappropriate, but. <laughs> wait, wait. My God sister told me this. Uh, we were like, we were like just coming out of a yoga class. And the girl who told her this was like kind of in the area. And, when, and my God sister, we literally started busting up laughing. And we were like running all over the campus, like laughing because it was just so ridiculous. <laughs> But people genuinely feel like those feelings are spiritual. That's the reason I brought that example. Right. When I first come to Bhakti Yoga, you get such a clear message that desire is the enemy of the soul. Exactly. And only in Bhakti Yoga, well, that's kind of the Vedanta slant to Bhakti Yoga. But Bhakti Yoga has two kind of areas when expressing itself in a philosophical way. It has like this sort of Vedantic slant which is like the, the truth, the absolute reality. Yeah. Um, and then it has this sort of aesthetic part to it. And the aesthetic part is the, 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 you know, the part that deals with the Leela of Krishna and the exchange mm. of love between Krishna and his um, Parikar, his associates. So when we're talking Bhakti Yoga, sometimes you just get that Vedanta message, which again, I say, it's, like, it's a strong lean towards renunciation. And when you're hearing about Bhakti Yoga from the perspective of Vedanta, it's like desire is the enemy of the soul. And if you don't learn how to tether it and then extinguish it, ultimately, it will destroy the potential of the soul to achieve ultimate beatitude. Of course, mm -hmm. in Bhakti Yoga traditions, we also have the aesthetic presentation of desire where desire can be sublimated or sort of um, transmuted Mm. Um, by being directed at the target of our realization, Krishna. And so yeah. you, if you have to have desire only for Krishna. All other desires are actually material, except for that particular desire. So that's more like the aesthetic approach. But because we're conditioned souls and we intimately identify with the body, we get a lot more that Vedanta you know, message that no desire mm. is actually really problematic. It will make you mad. And it's generally <laughs> take. It's taken as a spiritual, like our spiritual message, but or part, at least part of our spiritual message. Um, and so because of that, it tends to have this sort of air of abstractness to it. Desire is the enemy of the soul. But just like practically, you can see how desire can really destroy your life. Um, yeah. I mean, I personally see it just like being in COVID, like in, in lockdown. And I don't know if anyone's had feelings of like feeling lonely Anyone have a little trouble with loneliness? Little, <laughs> and, and, and so from that feeling, because we're habituated to take shelter of material objects, from loneliness comes a desire for like a relation. Oh, it'd be nice to have some, some relation, some exchange. And from that desire, it gets complicated. It gets complicated. <laughs> and we're just going to stop it right there without any further purport. But we all know where that can go. <laughs> and it's not, it's not pretty it's not so ever and so yeah yeah, yeah, yeah because so anyway, i think that some, yeah no i think i think it's such an important point you bring up about desire desire being you know kind of something that holds us back in our bhakti 
desire is something that um, we bargain for so much in this world. You know, we're always just like, well, okay. I think that's why, you know, we, I, at least here on Chit Chat, and I really appreciate you and kind of your bhav in the way that you teach and the way that you are, because like, at least for us conditioned souls, you know, like we can, the tendency, especially when you're first coming into bhakti like this, is to kind of not be so serious about um, the Vedantic part of bhakti and just, oh, you know, bhakti's love, bhakti's compassion, bhakti's like this, bhakti's like that. And that's all fine and dandy, you know, that's all true. That's all true. However, you know, you hit the nail on the head when you were just like, but we're conditioned souls. So our ability to actually practically in a real way direct our love towards our Ishta Dev Krishna, you know, I don't know about all of you, but <laughs> like it's it's tough, you know, like it's no, really, Krishna's really difficult. Like, Krishna's like, where is it? Where is love? <laughs> Krishna's <laughs> I don't see it. Where is it? <laughs> Wow, I feel attacked right now. I'm <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but it's so true. You know, it's like our 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 ability to really send that that pure pure love to Krishna is so dependent on like how is our sadhana, how is our bhajan, how is like this, what is our uh, how is our relationship with with um, sadhu and sangha, you know. Or are we like, I mean, let's be real, y'all. Like, this is chit-chat. We keep it, like, really casual here. It's like the Netflix and the movies and the material and, like, this and whatever. Like, we are indulging in that kind of stuff. So, therefore, it is really good to have that, like, Vedantic point of view to value the the use of austerity, to value, like, going through, giving things up for Krishna. You know, like, so many times on... There was just Radhastami, there was just Janmashtami, you know, okay, let's try on these special days, I'm going to chant more rounds, or let's try on these special days, you know what, I'm not going to turn on the Netflix, like, just like that, I feel like those kind of small things do help one feel like spiritually recharged, because when you're not right. doing that, when you're not right. doing that, it's really easy to get lost in the, yeah, Bhakti's love, Bhakti's this, you know, the blanketisms, the kind of just like this, and uh, that's not good, you know? Yeah, the... When you look at like Gopi's love, for example, and look at it means you actually, you know, go to the 10th cancer and read about it. So one of the, the reason why the Gopi's love is considered amongst all the forms of mellifluousness. <laughs> I saw this word used <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> Forms of love. The reason it's considered supreme is because Krishna can't reciprocate with it. Yes. And, and he says in the Gita, that according to the nature of your approach to, toward him, he will reciprocate in kind. But the gopi's love in Krishna's own words in the Bhagavatam cannot be reciprocated with. So he asked the gopis to be satisfied by their, their love, that their love is so exalted that it can't be reciprocated with, and therefore they should just be satisfied by their, their, their love. And part of the reason that their love cannot be reciprocated with is because of the level of sacrifice involved mm. in it to love Krishna. So, mm. which Krishna acknowledges, they've given up their home, they've given up their their families. Yes. Like These are all very difficult things to give up. In other words, and this is where that Vedantic slant of Bhakti Yoga comes in through heart, the, the, the drama of the leela of love, 
which is Krishna, the drama of Krishna Lila, um, is grounded on this Vedantic plane, right? Mm. This non-dual plane, which encourages renunciation. That's like the ground, or the, you can say the stage in which the Lila of, in which the drama of Krishna Lila is actually playing itself out. And so the gopi's love becomes the archetype of the highest type of love because of the level of sacrifice involved in it, which mm. the level of sacrifice is like this, this abnegation of like everything that would be very potently, uh, a very potent rope tying us to this material world, home, family, friendship, you know, and et cetera. I forget the list that Christian uses there. He lists about four or five things, like very difficult things to sacrifice. Mm-hmm. And yet they're able to sacrifice it for, uh, for the love of Krishna, for serving Krishna. And mm-hmm. it's, that, it's that sacrifice part that we tend to forget about when we're talking about love. Like, love is, like, scary. Like, the impl- like if you think about the implication and what it means to love, and that's to love exclusively. Because here in the material world, they ain't love it. Okay, if there's someone they love exclusively, if there's someone that any one of us loves exclusively, it's ourselves. Facts, <laughs> it's harder for us to accept it, but that's what's going on, ontologically speaking. I often bring up this point, it's unselfish almost, unless you develop bhakti. And so <laughs> when you really think about the implications of what it means to love, and the level of sacrifice that's involved in it, it's actually scary. Love is mass mm. scary. People talk, people talk about love like it's like a beautiful thing, which it is, once you're like in, in that arena. But crossing the threshold from not love to actual loving, and that threshold mm. is a huge threshold. It's like a, um, I, I don't know, I don't know why I have this image in my head. It's like an Indiana Jones movie. <laughs> I don't know why. I haven't seen it in the end. I don't even remember anything from Indiana Jones. But it's like a, a movie where, you know, the hero has to, like, jump over some huge crater to the other side. Mm. You know? So we're on one side, the side of non-love. And we have to, you know, go to the side of love. But in between is, like, this huge crater. Mm. In other words, there's much to be lost. You know, there's yes. the, the, the potential yes. of loss is heavy. And, so, and the people who actually make it over to the other side are very few and far between. Like, I'm having this image again, Indiana Jones. I don't know why that image is there. But it goes to the, the Temple of Doom. Was that one of the yeah. series? That's kind of the only yeah. one I remember. And, you know, he goes to the Temple of Doom. And he's, like, seeing skulls everywhere. And it's yeah. like, and then he, like, looks around. He's like, okay, a lot of MFs didn't make it out of here, did they? <laughs> and, you know, you kind of realize, like, okay, this is, there's much to be lost in this mm. attempt. And of course, mm. when we talk about Christian, the love of Krishna or Krishna love, uh, there is much to be lost. But, you know, that loss is so we can be found. So you yeah. know, we're, we're kind of lost and found in Krishna. But the lost part is the part, like the implication of which we've not thought about so deeply. Mm. Because the, the, the found part is so attractive you know, Chris, I discover myself, I discover Krishna, I discover that love between us. That part is so lovely that it tends to eclipse the, the implications of the lost part for us and what it means. <laughs> that, you know, the, yeah. ultimately, the ego death, that is the implication of loving Krishna. Um, and so love is a scary thing. Like, it's not, it's not 
It's not what we're accustomed to in the material world. There's yes, a lot, of, a lot of comments. There's there's a lot of there's a lot of comments and questions. I mean, I think love is such a sticky topic, but I think, you know, I I feel like we're talking about. Yeah. So for that this last question coming up, I think uh, there needs to be perhaps definitions on what love means and what bhakti means, which we've already covered in chit chat according to the bhakti tradition, because a, a, a love that has no sacrifice, I mean, that's not, that's not what's spoken about in the Bhagavatam, essentially. And essentially, I was, I, was, I was thinking about it, and I remember you brought this up, Jaya, I don't remember when, but about, um, we brought it up various times here in Chit Chat, but the last, the last verse of the Shikshastakam, and Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu saying, you know, even if you... Uh, even if you thrash me, even if, you know, you forget me like this, like you're still my beloved. Yes. And, and that's, that's very scary. You know, that's, that's very scary. And we've also talked about this on Chit Chat before about that, what bhakti, what this actual path of bhakti is asking us to do is asking us to do is giving up a lot and sacrificing a lot. Because at least for the context of this chit chat, we're talking about desire being the enemy of our, thriving in bhakti i can have all the things in the world and in a moment those things can be gone i mean we don't i don't want to go too real on this one because you know we're we're light and chatty today but the situation of the world right now it's like come on like people had stuff and then they didn't have stuff yes. and then you have the relationship and so many of the relationships have suffered due to the covid and now they're gone and you know you had this sort of economic stability and now that's gone so right. love, love based on those terms, based on those material terms, essentially is love in the material world, or as we call it, dualistic love, right? We've brought right. this term up before. I, there's a lot of poetry allusions. I, I see you were starting to respond to his question. Yeah. Uh, he kind of puts love and sacrifice in two different domains, which we yeah, were, yeah, yeah. well, at least in my way of articulating, wasn't putting into those. But I want to look at his question really quick. Yeah. Maybe we have to cover it deeply in the future today, but it says, why is sacrifice equated to love when their metaphorical implication is wildly, con wildly contradictory? I don't know how they're wildly contradictory. That might have to be further explained to me for me to have clarity about what you mean. But he says, yeah. love is the embodiment of all your senses and succumbing to the overwhelm of your emotion. So I find that to be interesting because taking that definition, which... I, I think it's, it, it stands to be true also, even for Vedanta, theistic Vedanta, the gopis, they're every, yeah. everything about them, their senses, their emotions, overwhelm them and take them to Krishna. They're like the rivers that flow towards the, the sea of Krishna without, and they go around any obstacle. So I think that could be true, but in doing so, there's something that has to be sacrificed. Sacrifice yeah. comes simultaneously with that. And all their being overwhelmed by all their senses, they're taken to Krishna, which is the beautiful part. But then they're taken away from the social conventions that govern their, their life in terms of the, the drama of Krishna Lila. So they're yeah. leaving their families, their children, their social obligations. Everything became sacrificed. Now that was that that is the corollary of having that strong emotional overwhelm towards the object of desire. 
Um, so I don't see how love and sacrifice in that sense are in two different domains. Even in the, let's say, a more mundane story like the story of Romeo and Juliet, um, you know, the two parties are in two different families and they, they love each other so much that they're willing to give up their lives, sacrifice, uh, to show the extent of the dedication of their love to the other party. That's real problematic from a Vedantic sense, I think. But anyway, just to give the sense that love and sacrifice aren't really in two domains. Mm. They are very intimately connected in the same domain. Um, mm. When you have a strong object of love, that along with that love comes so many things you're prepared to sacrifice, even your own life if necessary, for pleasing the object of love or satisfying mm. them or and so on. So I don't see how those two domains are exactly different. But Danya has... a good point about how this translates into the relationship between say people you know does the guru have mm. the guru has love for the disciple right and or those sorts of relationships which i think is interesting i have to say i've brought this up many times on chit chat the whole inspiration for my own personal spiritual life is a love topic it's specifically romantic love that's the whole inspiration for my starting spiritual, my spiritual journey. And so I've thought, because that's the whole inspiration mm. for my own personal journey in, in Bhakti Yoga also. And when I first came and was studying sort of that Vedantic side of Bhakti Yoga, then it was like, yeah, love is fake. And I would <laughs> then finish it. It's fake, it's, it's illusion, it's illusory. All these relationships in the world and they think they love each other, that's all fake. Those friendships, fake. That thing with your boo, fake. <laughs> You know, the thing teaching student, fake. All it is fake. There's only love for God, you know. And then as you kind of mature in your practice, you kind of realize, wait a minute, it's not exactly that black and white. It's a little bit mm. more, you may say, nuanced. Anyway, I can't say I have a perfect answer, but what I've come to conclusions about conventional loving relationships is that um, when the parties in those conventional relationships are helping one another to whatever degree, achieve their highest potential as souls and within their relationships there are other functions of the relationship like say the romantic relationship there may be other functions of that romantic relationship like sex is there children are there mm. and other things that come in the context of that relationship that are helpful for the sort of human part of the relationship but at the core of that relationship or the purpose of that relationship is to help one another, like teammates, achieve their highest potential as living entities. Mm. And to me, that sounds like a loving relationship. Mm. You know, so you have at the center of the relationship this attempt to help one another achieve to whatever degree you can. You know, some, some people may be devotees, others may not be devotees, and you're somehow in a relationship, so you can't exactly be like, you got to chant Japa. But mm. whatever you're able to do within the context of how your relationship is, and you're assisting, even if it's in the smallest way, in your heart to just be helpful in helping that jiva move towards their highest potential as souls. Mm. And within that, there's all this other peripheral stuff that also goes on because of the human part. Then that sounds like a loving relationship to me. Mm. Yeah. Ooh, I think I froze a little here. Um, yeah, I think you did, but it's, it's okay because we've met our, we've met our quota for a chit chat, <laughs> 30 minutes of chit chat. Um, are you still there? 
Nope, guess not. Uh, maybe Jaya will come back. Maybe Jaya will not come back. But obviously, we've opened the can of worms with this whole love topic, everyone. Um, I think poetry illusions, they're very good questions because I was also thinking the same thing in regards to compromise. And perhaps this is something that we can um, look towards in following chit chats, accommodating the needs of others over those. Oh, yeah, Jaya's back. So just to close out our session, Jaya will come back. He says, coming back. <laughs> uh, and then Poetry Illusion saying sacrifice is the complete rejection of this desire, which is essentially repression. And, uh, oh, hey, Jaya. And Kavi saying, I see love. Uh, surrender in the Vedic oh, sense, hi. which might help you understand what they're saying. You have to surrender mostly and find a new sense of self with the other. And top of my mind, Mogaji, how would you address someone who thinks the highest potential of the soul is not caring? Oh. Oh, lots of, <laughs> lots of questions here. And then Dravidian Queen, me also, I don't understand why it's called sacrifice or why there has to be an element of sacrifice for it to be true and real love. I'm just going to give a really mundane example because perhaps in romantic love, um, Jai is freezing up again. So I don't know about that, but maybe everyone can still hear me. I just thought of an example that's quite easy. Um, Personally, I think that, uh, I mean, personally, I think that like the love between uh, a mother and a child is very pure, uh, much more than, uh, of course, there are like, you know, intense relationships like where things go badly or whatever. But personally, I, I think that much more pure than romantic relationships. And so I'm kind of taking this out of the romantic relationship context. And I'm thinking about the sacrifices that a parent has to do for the child or that a mother has to do for the child, regardless of like, you know, for me, that's not a compromise. Like my, the mother is not compromising for their child. They're really, really sacrificing. And, you know, I think we can look into this topic because it is a, um, it is a big one for sure, like understanding love in terms of bhakti and understanding like the, the degrees of love. And it is a science, everyone. Like there are beautiful texts in our bhakti, uh, in our bhakti yoga tradition, Madhurya Kadambini about like going through the steps or bhakti rasamrita sindhu, going through the stages of bhakti and understanding the different types of emotions that arise, the different types of love that arise. I don't know, can, are you there, Jaya? You're like in and out. I don't know. I think I'm having <laughs> phone is acting out. Your your phone is having issues, so I think that um, I think we'll call it a day. I think it's the difference of choice. You choose to sacrifice. It's not seen as a bad thing. That's really nice, Kavi. I like that. It's surrender and sacrifice. The difference of choice. Yeah, I'm choosing to give this thing up. I'm choosing to let go of this thing because I'm putting the other, whether it be my child or lover or whatever, at a state where I want to. Uh, Princess Pepina, sorry, came in late. I think it's surrender and not sacrifice. I think we have to have a big, I think we have to have a big chit chat about sacrifice because there's so much in Bhagavad Gita and Bhagavatam about this topic. Because um, people are, are like, no, I, for some reason I'm feeling like there's some surrender yeah. towards sacrifice. Yeah, there seems like there's some issue with the word itself. I love the word. And I think it's a great of, word. I think it's a great word, but um, there seems to be for one thing, I, from what I know about the etymology of the word sacrifice, mm. which I will double check for tomorrow when we continue this discussion, 
But sacrifice means to make holy or to make sacred. Um, it's so the the word sacrifice is actually related to like wholeness and making sacred and, and making pure. Um, it is, but that, I think that the image. I think that that is okay. Yeah. I think the images that come in our head though when we hear the word sacrifice is like a blood letting or something like that, <laughs> like like something <laughs> like wild, you know. <laughs> Um, at least I'll be, that's my initial, when I hear sacrifice, I'm thinking of like a witch thing that I saw some years ago and then, you know, they're making a sacrifice to, you know, to Beelzebub or whatever it is. And so I, I the word has, that word has like a funny history to it, which yeah. I think is, what I'm saying is that when there is love, that sacrifice just comes with the thing without even it being necessarily an emotional component of the person doing the sacrifice mm. like in other words a lover or a parent you get the example of a parent it's not that they're emotionally thinking wow i gotta really sacrifice for this person yeah it's just like something not. that happens because of the intensity of the love for the object of devotion yeah i don't think and i was giving the example of the gopis i don't think when the gopis were sacrificing for krishna they were like troubled by it like wow you know i'm really giving up home and children and and all this just for krishna but you know what krishna you're worth it it was just that the intensity of their devotion like the river going towards the sea what concomitantly followed that was just sacrifices were made mm. this was given up in favor of that and it kind of comes along with the nature of intense devotion mm. whether it's a devotion of a lover for the beloved the devotion for a parent for the child or even in friendship mm. certain sacrifices are made and you know like and not that it's like an emotional tension for you i mean i think when you have less love then it becomes like a discussion in your head mm. but when we're talking about like in a very intense sort of emotional love in different domains whether a lover or a friend or whatever then it just comes along with the package that's kind of what i was I'm trying to indicate. I really like, so I think Poetry Illusions has finally, finally come to an agreement with us that yes, sacrifice is a, is a consequence of that love, but not necessarily in conjunction with love. But then I think Madhava Puri hit this on the head. I think one of the fundamental problems for, the mo for most people in regards to sacrifice is why should I not enjoy if it's made available to me? <laughs> <laughs> and I think that that's... I think that that's golden Madhavapuri. I think it's so nice because it's that's that's definitely I think one of the biggest problems when it comes to why should I why should I deny myself this pleasure or why should I let go of this thing if it's available to me if it's here in my life like this because I think that's something that we are not um, touching upon and again we can continue this on another chit chat is that I can hold on you know this entire chit chat started with me talking about my cushy lifestyle over here in Ecuador. And, you know, right. and my, my choice could be either I hold on to that and I'm just like, this is my life and I'm going to, you know, these houses and this thing. But, you know, Krishna is the one who takes away. Lord Hari is the one who takes away. And we were speaking about, you know, we might have forgotten at the beginning of this chit chat, we were speaking about how when Krishna takes away that which is not necessary or that which is an obstruction for your spiritual life, which tends to be material objects and things like that, you know, then I am able to have a deeper realization. I'm able to ascend my bhakti. So it really comes down to like, is it like 
what are my choices in regards to sacrificing? Because at one point or another uh. in this life, in this life at one point or another, I'm going to have to sacrifice something for someone or something. Like it, it's, right. it's going to happen, you know? And I think what Bhakti is really asking us to think about and look at is why am I sacrificing? Who am I sacrificing to? What are the reasons that I'm doing it for? And, you know, like this, because I think that if, yeah, I think I'll end with this. I think that if I'm sacrificing a lot into, you know, maybe this word is hitting some sort of whatever, but let's use a different word. If I'm making concessions in my life, right? If I'm saying I'm anytime I make an economic purchase, anytime I go into a debt, anytime, anytime this kind of things happen, I'm making concessions. I'm saying I'm going to forego this so that I can have this right exactly exactly and so, and so and you can so you can't escape it you can't escape it and i think that i think that what's really important is what is the object of my desire and is that object of my desire going to fulfill the amount that i'm foregoing and the amount of time that i'm foregoing it you know and right. and the message of bhagavad gita and bhagavatam is that with material objects no it's not you know it's the, the object of desire is not going to make that period of sacrifice feel feel spiritual or feel transcendent. You know, ah, oh, I finally finished my 10-year mortgage on my house. I've spiritual, I've had a spiritual awakening. Like, no, that's not, that's not the message, right. Right? right? So what we're looking at then is what am I foregoing by choice in my spiritual practices? Sorry, phone. In my spiritual practices for uh i don't know if i'm supposed to pick this up i'm just gonna i'm just gonna <laughs> wow. i don't know what to do i'm just i don't want it to sound i was in the middle of something so what's what am i foregoing willfully in my spiritual life so that i can come closer to the object of desire which will ultimately fulfill me which is krishna yes like this yes we got a lot to unpack. Let's try to unpack this tomorrow. Okay. I got a lot to say, but our time is up. So um, let's okay. try to, um, yeah, I, I would like to bring up this topic and see if we could make it satisfying. Oh, I don't think this was dissatisfying, but make it more so. Yeah. Um, yeah. For all parties. Yeah. Um, it's a very interesting topic. We were supposed to ask a question today, Jaya, as well, but I forgot to ask it. So maybe you tomorrow. ask it now? No, not now. Okay. Let's ask it tomorrow. Okay. Um, we'll be here tomorrow, everyone, at 6 p.m. Thank you so much for all your wonderful... Um, thank you for all your wonderful comments, and thank you for the back and forth. It's, it was really nice, actually. Specifically, um, yeah. thank you, Poetry Illusions, for bringing up so much stuff. It's really nice to get the different um, viewpoints, and Kavi, PB Chat, Madhavapuri, of yeah. course, and Danya, thank you all so much for being here. And Mogaji, thank you, Haribo. And so we'll be here tomorrow at 6 p.m. Thank you, Dravidian Queen. Thank you. And we'll be here tomorrow, 6 p.m. Eastern. Hari Hari Bo, Hari Krishna, Hari Ram. Hari, Thank you, Jaya. Hari Hari. Thank you. Hari Bo.